0: Open the word of God with me first to Isaiah, chapter 42. Thank you, brothers that have gone before me in the back room, in prayer, in singing, in Psalm 47, in prayer again, Lord, receive everything that we have done and make it acceptable through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me start out this sermon by telling you about an election and a man that was chosen. We have, a, we have a man chosen and elected to be our king. Isaiah 42 and verse 1, Behold, behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. If you're worried about justice and judgment being done, then look to Christ. God has elected him. God has chosen him. He upholds him and he has put his spirit upon him and he will bring forth judgment for us. Verse 2 tells you who it's speaking of because these words are quoted in the New Testament concerning the Lord Jesus he shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. And here we are, waiting for his law, in the big island of... Of the North American continent. Thank you, Lord, for electing and choosing the Lord Jesus Christ, for upholding him, and for giving him your spirit, and he shall not fail. The Bible is the greatest political manual ever. We do not want to look back to the founding fathers of our nation for political wisdom. We do not want to look to the French Revolution. For political wisdom, we do not want to look to the Republic of Rome for political wisdom. We do not want to look to Athens for political wisdom. We want to look to the Word of God, and it goes all the way back to the first kingdom in the earth in the plain of Shinar under Nimrod and what God did to the nations of the earth in the flood and in, in subsequent events. He is God and ruler over all, and we want to rejoice in Him and love Him and remember His works because they're great, as we heard last Sunday from Psalm 111. We want to think upon them, rejoice in them, and love our Father. Amen. Do you know how to tell Him? How, what's the last time you told Him that you loved Him in private with your heart ready to burst because He's so great, so glorious, so loving, so faithful, so right. friendly, so kind in His dealings toward us? Amen. We've had a great day already being here Together and thank you, brother, for your prayer about being in the house of the Lord and being comforted and blessed already. We have insider information. Amen. I, I mean, serious insider information. What if, by the way, you sang a song that you're not very familiar with and it said at the bottom right hand corner of the page, the Russian hymn. And I hope you weren't getting nauseated by just looking at those two words because we're not Russians and we don't care about Russia. But Russian hymn is just the tune. The words were written by an American, and and those words were about us. Peace in our time was about us. Just to comfort you a little bit. It was the hymn that was Russian. And the hymn before that was the American national hymn on our centennial In uh, 1876, when we had a contest in this country, Congress called for a contest, who can write the best hymn? That's the result. True religion. God of our fathers. They had never thought of Allah in their wildest moment as being any kind of a god. Oh, thank you, Lord, for showing us so much insider information. What if Russia had invisible men? Circulating in our government, listening to everything, watching, watching everything, reporting back, and issuing decrees and orders that are necessarily affected upon our nation. That'd be serious insider information, wouldn't it? We have it, and they're not Russian, they're our servants. They're the angels of heaven. Right, right. He's the Lord of hosts. There's watchers and there's holy ones that come down and watch what goes on in governments. That's why they're called watchers. And they issue decrees. And they got sick of the noise. They got sick of the blasphemy going up in this country. And so they issued an order. Amen. We'll have a new president, we'll have a new party. And they are sh- the, the enemies of truth in this country and wisdom in this country, are shocked. Amen. And it's our pleasure Amen. to see their shock and surprise. Lord, we have insider information. We know that there are watchers and holy ones. We know that there were angels operating in the government of Persia by Daniel 10, the government of Greece by Daniel 10, before there was a Greece. There were already angels at work there to empower Alexander the Great with a greatly inferior and And smaller army to defeat the Persian Empire for the glory of God and his purpose in the five kingdoms of the world. And we are citizens of the fifth kingdom, and it shall endure forever, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That stone that was cut out without hands and smote the image of the world's four empires in the feet and blew it into pieces and filled the earth. Here we are on the other side of the earth from God's chosen property under the Old Testament, and we are part of that fifth kingdom. For those that might be listening to this sermon, I would suggest reading Isaiah 10, 5 through 19 about God using Sennacherib, king of the Assyrian Empire, as a toy. I would suggest reading all of Isaiah 37, which is God destroying King Sennacherib and his army. I would suggest you read Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2 about God blessing Nehemiah's prayer to get the aid of the Persian kings to help in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. I would suggest that you read Psalm 47 that was just presented to us by a young man about to turn 30 years of age in two months and blessing God for being the ruler of the nations. Amen. Amen. I am glad to be a servant of the Most High. This is a privilege I don't deserve, but it's a pleasure to be here this morning and to share with you the Word of God and the things He's taught us. I th- thank God that in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's elect, whom he upholds and he shall never fail, that we have a winner. Let Let me share a little bit of trivial junk with you. Out of the four top college football teams, three of them lost yesterday to losers. To losers. Two of them at home. One of them is Clemson, 30 miles away. Clemson lost to a school that barely has a football team. At home. Michigan lost to Iowa. Washington lost to Southern Cal. These are all unranked, worthless teams. Now, if you lose to a loser, what are you? A loser. loser. I bless God and thank God that we have the Lord Jesus Christ because I can't stand losses. I can't stand close games. If it's closer than 70 to nothing in a football game, I don't like it because... That's just too scary for me. I love dominion and power and victory. And look, where where do you want to turn the Bible? I was tortured all night last night with wondering, what do I share with these people to open up the day of worship? Is it Psalm 82? Is it Psalm 75? Where is it going to be? So I chose, by God's leading, Isaiah 37, Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2, and Ezra chapter 7 and Ezra chapter 6, and we, we had a little survey. Of the glory of God. We have a winner. The God of heaven. He never loses. He never fails. He never leaves us. He'll never forsake us. And the Lord Jesus Christ is guaranteed victory. Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts. Hath will perform it. Hath spoken it. Will perform it. When you quote or learn Isaiah 9-6. I would recommend that you also learn the next verse. Which is Isaiah 9-7 because that's where it says about his government, there'll be no end to the increase of it, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Jesus rules. Jesus wins. And that's the final point that we need to think about all day long. It's the first Sunday after the 2016 presidential election, which Donald Trump and the Republicans won. Due to earlier preparation for today, This outline was entitled, and it is still listed so in the files on my computer, Living Under Clinton. (coughs) Oh, ye of little faith. Amen. If you were to find the online version of this sermon outline, it's entitled Living Under Clinton. Because I thought I was going to have to do what I did four years ago, living under Obama. And I still recommend that slide series that we had that day. I've had to refer to it myself to comfort myself, pat myself on the back, that everything's going to be okay, Johnny, uh, because the Lord's with us. And the Lord has dealt with opposition, political opposition, national enemies, great threats before, and it was a blessing to go through that and realize that in my 60 years, and for those of you that are around 60 years of age, 70 years of age, You can remember that 50 years ago in the 60s, it looked like our nation was coming to an end, and the Lord just turned that all upside down, and he took care of us, and he blessed us. And it's been some of the 50 most prosperous years you would want to work, save, and invest in America. Try to find another 50-year period greater than the last 50 we've had. It's been a wonderful time. The Lord's preserved us. And we thank him for it. We downplay politics in our church, because of the New Testament and our past sinful proclivities. That means our tendencies and our vulnerability. So we downplay politics, and I have said very little, I've written very little, publicly in the last year leading up to this election. Godly wisdom trumps us talking. We don't need to talk about it. We want to come in here and talk about the Lord. And right now we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, Him crucified, Him resurrected, Him ascended, Him crowned, and sitting on the right hand of heaven. We are, that, is, that is the foundation of what we're talking about. It's Jesus Christ crucified, but he wasn't left on a crucifix. It's right. Jesus Christ not in a tomb, and it's Jesus Christ not ascending. It's not walking on earth with a two on the road to Emmaus. It's Jesus glorified on the throne of David at the right hand of Almighty God, right. ruling forever. Right. And he's our brother. And he loves us, and he's here this morning by the presence of his spirit with us, walking around his golden candlesticks and hopefully holding, of course, he's holding his stars in his right hand. God has saved us and taught us concerning his will towards civil authority for which we give him thanks. Lord God of heaven, thank you for calming our raging and wild and rebellious spirits from the past when we would mock and denigrate and despise your appointed rulers, you have changed us and we bless thee for doing it. Thank you for not letting us go the way we had chosen, but for jerking our chains and holding us back as thy bond slaves, but better yet, thy sons and daughters and forming our hearts and our minds anew to respect and reverence those in authority, both the office and and the person chosen to be in them. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. He has saved us and taught us so much. And I bless this congregation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for learning it with me and for submitting with me and for blessing and praying for and giving thanks and honoring our civil government like we should. It is a far cry from several decades ago in my life The way I was taught, the example I was shown, was very different from what the Word of God teaches. The verses there that teach us submission were turned upside down to teach rebellion. I thank God for that, what the Lord's done for us. We gave Him a sacrifice over the last eight years. It was hard for us to see such a blatantly anti-God establishment in our country. But we honored Him. We prayed for Him. We submitted to Him. We have had the godly, biblical attitude toward Him, and God has honored us and blessed us and shown us a little favor. Our gift and sacrifice to God of honor to rulers is our duty. So as a brother reminded me a couple of days ago, we are still unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. We were just getting caught up to duty. We weren't going above and beyond duty honoring the president of the past eight years, we were doing what our duty is to do. How in the world can we preach about children honoring parents and wives, obeying and reverencing husbands and employees, honoring employers unless we practice it ourselves, men, as the leaders and examples of our families, and do it in our attitudes and thoughts and spirit and speech and actions toward our civil rulers? Our prayer meeting last Sunday before the election was excellent. And I'm sorry for those of you that wanted to get out of your chair but were beat by others to the pulpit that you didn't get an opportunity. You will shortly. And we should believe the results that are connected the following week. If we don't believe that, we don't believe in prayer. We must connect the praying with the result and say our praying is partly due for the result. If we don't believe that, we shouldn't pray. We prayed, and we prayed sincerely, and we prayed with eight years of righteousness. That doesn't mean there weren't exceptions, but eight years of general righteousness and submitting to a government, party, and platform that we strongly disagreed with. If we consider the godless elements of our society, the election results powerfully humiliated them. And that is how I vote. I just, all you have to do is look down through the the elements of our society, whether it's Hollywood, you say, Hollywood, are are they Republican or Democrat, who do I vote for? Oh, they're over here, they're Democrats, they're rabid animals. I look at the anarchists, I look at the media, and I just start running down, I look at NOW, National Organization of Women, I look at the NEA, the National Education Association, you look at the humanists, you look at the atheists, you look at them all, check, 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 they're all in one column, and they got blasted Wednesday morning. Oh, and there was a lot of traders' money lost on Tuesday evening when they thought that, first of all, they thought that uh, Clinton was going to win, so they ran the market up even after hours on Tuesday evening. The the market in America trades until 8 o'clock after hours trading. And then around the world, they thought that Mrs. Clinton was going to win and that the market would respond positively because of extra spending. And so they drove the market up. Then when it looked like Trump was going to win later in the evening, they crushed the stock markets around the entire world and the currencies and drove them down because they thought that if Trump gets the presidency, he's going to have restrictive policies and it's going to hurt stock market prices. So they drove the market down in the U.S. 5% overnight. Now we're talking about $15 trillion in total value. Take 5% of that. Overnight. But then at 3 a.m., our president elect Trump used great wisdom and looked like a statesman for the first time. And he gave the most. I hope you know how I mean that. I think he ran intelligently, not acting like a statesman, because he wanted to reach all. He wanted to reach enough. We'll see. It's in the Lord's hands. I don't even. We'll see. But at 3 a.m., He gave one beautiful conciliatory victory speech and he stopped all world markets and currencies at 3 a.m. and they reversed course and the next two days set records in the United States. The God of heaven did all that. That's the only reason I would talk about it. The God of heaven gave him great wisdom to deliver a very good speech. You should read market analysts on what happened worldwide at 3 a.m. Wednesday morning. All glory to God. But if we consider the godless elements of our society, the labor unions, the feminists, the abortionists, the sodomites, the transgenders, the election results powerfully humiliated them. We love God's description of the virgin daughter of Zion mocking Sennacherib in 2 Kings 19 and Isaiah 37. President-elect Trump's platform and his promises gave hope. Even a small performance will be good. Our dear brother in St. Louis, his words to me after us discussing that this is an R for an R, reprieve for repentance for our whole country and for us. It's a reprieve, but how are we going to use it? The goodness of God should lead us to repentance. It's a reprieve for repentance. And then he he said, you know what? If the president-elect does one-fiftieth of what he said he's going to do, it's going to be a great presidency. That's 2% because of all that was said. And what I'm saying is the platform and the promises this may well be a reprieve for our repentance, and we can answer the call even if the nation does not. Right. We do not know if President-elect Trump will do or can do much of what he promised, campaigning. That's between him and God. We just know what he said, and the other half of our nation doesn't like what he said. And we, we like it that they don't like it, what he said. <laughs> but brethren, consider our Supreme Court. Yeah. Consider the justices and the judges that he... As he said, what kind of justices and judgments and judges he's going to put in As absolutely he has. Right. He has picked a justice that died, and we've referenced him in the last couple of years and said, that is my pattern for everyone I'm going to appoint, and I've got 20 already on my list. Nice. I hope that he puts Ted Cruz at the top of the list. That's a possibility. It doesn't matter. I don't even want to talk about power. I want to talk about the Lord God reigning and ruling over all this. We do not know what he can do, but consider our Supreme Court, the Court of Appeals, the district courts that the new president will pick. You've got to remember that what you don't see happens in Washington, and that is President Obama has filled about 500 positions in his eight years. And now... President-elect Trump will get to do that. You know, we're somewhere between guarded euphoria and excited concern as we put our trust in our father. But we want to commend former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton for her gracious concession speech, saying, Donald Trump is going to be our president. We owe him an open mind and the chance to lead. Those are good words from two bitter enemies. Anarchy in our streets does not follow that. And high school children walking out of class show the character of that side. If you take a room full of high schoolers, add their intelligence together, and square them, you have idiocy. They don't have a clue. They've never worked a job. They've never earned a dollar. They've never paid a dollar in taxes. They've never been threatened by death or war. They don't know anything about authority. They don't know anything about government. They don't know anything about politics. They're worthless, and they're walking out of class because they just want to be rebellious. They don't even know what they're doing or why they're doing it, except someone else fomented them to do it on social media. Donald Trump is not a messiah. Do you want to know who the messiah is? He's God's elect, and he's on his throne, and he rules in America, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God's holy child Jesus. He barely admitted being a Christian, and only when pushed hard by Christians... We also need some closure to the long-drawn-out, overdone competition and drama of the last year that distracts this nation from its real duties. Right. The Bible did not prophesy about this election. The Bible does not pro- you would not believe the stuff I've had to look at and read. I have had to read that Ezekiel 22:30, that the Lord looked for a man to stand the gap before him for the land, that he should not destroy it as Donald Trump. Listen. God listed five men that that could get close to doing it. Do you remember what those five men are? Let's see if we can remember them. I think Noah's in there and Moses is in there and Job, Samuel, and Daniel. President-elect Donald Trump. Sorry. You can't even compare. You can't even get in the same universe with those five. He's not our Messiah, and he's not Ezekiel 2230. There are videos all over the place that will get you greatly distracted. Do you know what we want? The same on every subject. The crown of the road. We do not want the ditch of being anti-government, and we do not want the ditch of Donald Trump is our Messiah. Lord, save us from all ditches and extremes. A brother in the church sent me this one. At his inauguration on January 20th, and the brother didn't believe this, he was just sending it to me. So don't ask me who the brother is. Uh, On January 20th, Donald Trump will be 70 years old in seven months, seven days. 777, the antithesis to the Antichrist. I was deeply moved. I had to leave my office. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I remember when Richard Milhouse Nixon calculated out to be 666. Anybody remember Richard Milhouse Nixon? Then there was Henry Kissinger that worked out to be 666, what men will do with numbers. Numbers don't lie, but liars sure do use numbers. Amen. We are glad and excited for limited aspects of this election, but there is no national revival at all that we can see. But we can have one right here. And we ought to have one right here. We Thank always God. ought to be looking for that and seeking for that. This is not an exhaustive study, but inclusion of the material that's going to be linked to this, it's going to be close. We've been over some, many of these points before, but you've got to remember, brethren, that have heard these things before, there are people sitting here that have not heard them. Right. And even for us who have heard them many times and thought about them over many years, I want us reinforced in the principles of righteousness when it comes to politics right. so that we can be wise and understand the will of the Lord and we can see time and judgment and know what we ought to do. Remember, there are statements in the Bible about men that know what to do, given the times, and we want to be those men. These points need to be embraced beyond head knowledge, knowing they are biblical and right. Our faith in God and his word and the commitment of our lives is based on how we respond to the big issues like politics. Let's change our emotions. Let's change our responses, thoughts, speech, and actions even more perfectly to be what the Lord looks for in our lives. First, it shouldn't take long. Our God reigns. Thank you, Daniel. I think we can go to point two. Our God reigns. You know, where where will we look? He's the blessed and only potentate. And the Lord Jesus Christ is coming very soon to show us that. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. What does a boxer have to do to be ranked number one in the world? He has to beat number one. And he has to beat number four and he has to beat number seven. He has to beat top-ranked boxers so that he's gone up against healthy competition that shows he's worthy of being number one. What does a football team have to do to be ranked number one? By their strength of schedule in beating number one or beating number three, five, and seven, they show that they're worthy to be number one. What does our God do? He told us in Exodus 9 and Romans 9. What does he do? He raised up Pharaoh and made him as high and as great as he possibly could so that he could bring him down in the middle of the Red Sea to get himself a name, the name of the Lord Jehovah, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They got themselves a name by raising up kings as high as they possibly could. There was a king building pyramids and was the greatest kingdom in the world at that time known to man in Egypt, and God crushed him. That man had a realization in the middle of the Red Sea when the wheels of his chariot came off, his loins were loosed. He stained his royal tunic, and the God of heaven started those walls of water trembling like jello, and they collapsed on him Amen. and drowned his entire army. Amen. Why? Because you got to beat number one to be number one. That's what the Bible says. I have raised thee up that I might make my power known in the earth and get myself a name. Right. Beautiful. That is a God I can worship. Do you love that God? Do you talk to him? Do you tell him you love him? Do you praise him? Are you going to listen to Psalm 47 and the advice and reminder that we got this morning and praise him more? Yesterday's sunshine in the afternoon was magnificent. Remember? People love him. Where do you need to go to know that he's embracing you and his face is right there? And you talk to him and tell him how much you love him. And that you're so thankful to be alive and to have the privilege of being his son. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Our God reigns. That all the people say, the Lord reigneth. Yes, he reigns. We don't have to worry about anything, no matter how high that we might see someone getting in this world or how loud they are or how many likes they have on their social media or how many friends they have that they've never met. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.8. Listen, we've been over this so many times, but there are people here that have not heard these things. And I want, listen, we need the reminders. I love the reminders. Because I I can get as perplexed and angry as fast as anyone in here looking at the news. So I don't look at it very much. That's why I didn't even know that there was smoke in the area until Friday night when a room full of brethren asked me, Where have you been hiding? been in my office. I didn't know there was smoke in the area. I didn't know there was a fire in the area. I didn't know it was dry. And then I find out the upstate's practically burning to the ground and covering Atlanta with smoke, and you can see it from satellites, and if you were on Mars, you'd be able to see the the fires of the Piedmont. I didn't even know about it. Here we go. Verse 8 of Ecclesiastes 5. If thou seest on the news in social media, on the television, if thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, the state of South Carolina, the United States of America, or anywhere else in the world, marvel not at the matter. Don't get worried, don't get fearful, don't be surprised, don't be confused, don't marvel at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth. He's taking care of it. He sees every detail of it, and he will rectify it. And there be higher than they. They're just out of sight. We have insider information because it's out of sight. All they can see is this, social media, internet, television, and what's going on physically. That's all they can see, and all those things are temporary and weak. There is a whole other world going on outside of their sight, and we trust it. This verse is wonderful. God reigns. This is how he reigns. He tells us not to worry about the perverting of judgment and justice in a province. He tells us not to worry about politics because he's regarding it all and he's going to take care of it and there are higher than the highest that you might see. He delivers his people. He delivers his people. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 5. We've already heard from Chronicles this morning, but let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. There's so many places that we could read. It's 1 Chronicles 5. Excuse me, 1 Chronicles 5. There's a war. Verse 19 tells us, And they made war with the Hagarites, with Jeter, with Nephish, and Nodab. Verse 20, 1 Corinthians 5.20, And they were helped against them. And the Hagarites were delivered into their hand and all that were with them. For they cried to God in the battle and he was entreated of them. Where's your trust this morning? Because they put their trust in him. Let us put our trust in him. He'll take care of us. He's regarding. He's not missing it. He's looking. He's watching. He's measuring. The watchers are watching. Is that hard for you to believe? That a watcher watches? Why is he called a watcher? Because he watches. And he's a holy one. So he's operating by the same platform, Daniel, very creative, operating by the same platform of the God of heaven, the throne of his holiness. And so they're called the holy ones because they're the holy angels. That's what they're called in the New Testament. They're seeing, they're operating, let's put our trust in him. Because he delivers his people. You know I could take the rest of the day on examples from the Bible of God delivering his people, but it's a rule of politics that you have to remember. God delivers his people. So every government in the world should be very careful about how they deal with Christians. They should think twice and thrice before they pass laws or enforce laws against Christians. Because we're putting our trust in him, and he's higher than you. And when he decides to judge, he can turn your world upside down and you inside out. Worry never helps. Do you know that? Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. The Lord wants us to put our faith and trust in him and not worry. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Yes, I have many more verses for each of these points. The outline will be available in 24 or 48 hours. It's 50 points or so. It'll be 60 by the time I'm done because I've got other material to add to it. And it's, it's a list of rules for Christian and politics, how we should think about government. Thank you, Lord, for showing us so much in the word of God. Yeah. Thank you for humbling us and taking us back from the brink of rebellion. Yeah. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 3. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. I hope that's obvious to you. And if the tree fall toward the south, Matthew and Angela had a tree fall on both of their cars and crush them in their driveway overnight. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, In the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Do you believe that? Is that obvious to you? Verse 4, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. We don't worry about politics. We go to work. We plant vineyards. Are you thinking of another text? We marry. We give our children in marriage because God's going to take care of us. We don't know if the clouds are full, the rain's going to fall if they're full. If the tree's fallen, it's going to be there. If the tree falls, it's going to be there. We're going to just go ahead and do what we're supposed to do. But those that observe the wind, if you watch too much of C-SPAN or Rush Limbaugh, listen to him, or, or read too much online, you're observing the wind and you're not going to sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. You're too, much, you're too worried about circumstances. Trust in the Lord. Amen. Laugh at the circumstances. He's going to take care of us. He took care of us for the last eight years right well. We're going to trust Him to take care of us for the next four years. Verse 5, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. You can't figure out things like childbirth that we keep having babies. Verse 6, In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. Make an investment in the morning, and show charity in the evening. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Because it's in the hands of the Lord. Men, when they went into battle in the Bible, would say to each other, The Lord doeth him as it seemeth him good. The Lord doeth as, as it seemeth him good. And they would go into battle and fight their best. Joab would tell his brothers, Let's fight for, for, the God, for our God and for our people and for our cities. And the Lord doeth as it seemeth him good. That's how they went into battle. But they went to battle. They got up in the morning, they sowed their seed in the evening when someone was asking for a handout that had a justifiable cause. Of course, that's always assumed in the Bible. They would give out a handout. And they wouldn't know how how good the crop was going to be that year, or if God would bless the charity, or if God would bless both. But they just went ahead and did it and didn't worry about circumstances. They were not fearful. Chicken littles are not Christians. And Christians are not chicken littles. They, go to, they get up and go to work and trust the Lord. Let's not worry. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Amen. Let's keep our minds there. Responses are rewarded. Look at Psalm 1. It means nothing for you to think or say that you believe God is fully sovereign. It means nothing for you to think it or to say it. We've got to do better than that. How will you respond to the other candidate or party winning? How would we have handled that? Would you have, w- would you have had a framed picture of President Hillary Clinton in your home? Would you have prayed for, her? would you have given thanks for? Her? If we trust God's sovereignty, we will because he tells us to. Right. Would you do it with full respect? How will you respond to your candidate or party winning? With Messiah-like hope? Or is your trust still in the Lord? If, if the Lord's sovereign, and he's higher than the highest, and he moves all the hearts of men like the rivers of water, then our trust needs to be in him, not in men. Right. Where do you rank your spiritual privileges as God's son compared to being an American? There shouldn't be a comparison. Right. We're dual citizenship, as we heard in a prayer this morning. Of America and of Zion the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Do you spend more effort and time following politics or following preaching and prayer? It tells what kind of a Christian you are. It tells if you have your trust in the Lord. It tells if you're going to be rewarded in your life or not. A real measure of faith and virtue is doing what is right when tempted to do wrong. And when political winds change, it tempts us to do wrong And so we have an opportunity to do what is right in the face of temptation, and the Lord rewards that. Psalm 1 tells us about reward. In the first three verses, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper that is a powerful blessing a powerful reward in verse 3 and it's obtained by verses 1 and 2 let verses 1 and 2 be true of us in this church our duty is prayer i read those verses to you last lord's day before our prayer meeting in our second assembly, from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, and 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. This morning I have read to you Nehemiah 1, verse 4, verse 11, Nehemiah 2, verse 11. And we've seen that prayer changes things. Hezekiah's prayer in Isaiah 37 destroyed the Assyrian army and the Assyrian king that had blasphemed the God of Israel and the people of Israel. Nehemiah got the aid of the Persian kings, to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple there. Our duty is prayer. More on prayer will come. Rulers will answer. If you read Ecclesiastes 5, 8 with me, that the highest regardeth, and he's going to take care of them. They will be punished for their sins. Let's look at Daniel chapter 4 uh, about the watchers and holy ones. Ezekiel Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. Rulers will answer for their conduct. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to punish them other than the punishment they give us. And they give us the privilege of punishing them in a voting booth. That's our system. They all agree to it. They want you to go in there and vote your conscience, to vote scriptural wisdom. And so we go in there, and sometimes we may be voting against someone more than we're voting for someone But that's about the limit that we have. You might be able to send a few dollars in to contribute to a campaign. You might be able to sign a a respectful petition. I have been through the list of things that we can do as noble and honorable Christians, and it's in the preaching on Romans 13, 1 through 7, and in that outline that is on the website. But rulers will answer for their conduct. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 13 is the King Nebuchadnezzar's dream and visions. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. And then he said what was going to happen to the king Nebuchadnezzar in verses 14 through 16 that he's going to be turned into an animal. That's a serious dream. Verse 17, and this is what he heard at the conclusion. This matter is by the decree of the watchers. This is what the angel said to Nebuchadnezzar. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent, as I wrote you last evening in the preparatory email, to the intent that the living Nebuchadnezzar and us indirectly, may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Therefore, Nebuchadnezzar, by implication, you have been thinking way too highly of yourself. These watchers make decrees and give orders. And yes, they're the orders of heaven. They're the orders of God. God operates by his angels. Never forget the, the, the role that angels have in politics. And I want to get ahead of myself. But in 1 Kings 22, God held a meeting in heaven. Right. Remember? Yes. Micaiah the prophet got to look into heaven and see the Lord of hosts sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven gathered before him. And his question was, who's going to get Ahab to battle the king of Israel so I can kill him? Now that's being politically involved. That's beyond petition writing. That's beyond phone calling. That's beyond attending your local meeting of your party. That's who can get him out to battle so I can kill him. And one raised his hand and gave an idea. We've been through all this before. It's 1 Kings 22. And so a watcher came down and was a lying spirit in the mouth of his 400 false prophets, and they told him that he was going to be victorious that day, so he went to battle. And God killed him with a chance arrow, at a venture, shot at a venture. Because the angels are involved. They're the watchers and they're the holy ones. I hope that we'll remember these passages. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. And what? And delivereth them. them. In Acts chapter 12, we have a chapter on political science. Herod, Agrippa II, Herod and Tippus. Not a grip of the second. That's later in chapter 26. Herod Antipas kills James with the sword. He kills an apostle. He kills one of our Lord Jesus Christ's chosen men. And because it got the Jews all excited and all they, they do things for political expediency, he took Peter and put him into prison, planning to kill Peter after Passover. But what does it say the church was doing? Praying, Praying without ceasing. In the house of Mary, the sister of Barnabas, the mother of John Mark, what happened? An angel showed up in that prison. Peter was chained out to four quanturnians of soldiers. Sixteen Roman soldiers were chained to Peter. He was sleeping. Oh, Lord, <laughs> give us the sleep of Peter. That we could be in prison and sleep with chains and 16 Romans snoring around us. And the angel kicked him. The chains fell off. Follow me. Doors opened. He walked out in the street, thought he was in a dream. And then he realized, oh, God has sent his angel to deliver me. And he looked up Mary and they were having a prayer meeting and they couldn't believe that he was at the door. Just like my outline is entitled Living Under Clinton. But how does that chapter end? Anything happened to Herod and Tippus? He, yeah. he made a speech and opened his mouth a little too much against the Most High and for himself. And the angel of the Lord smote him on the spot and he was eaten with worms. That is political science. Right. Amen. You better treat God's people nicely and you shouldn't have killed James. I'm very sorry, but you shouldn't have killed James and you shouldn't have put Peter in prison because there was a little prayer meeting going on down there in the house of Mary on one of those obscure streets in Jerusalem. I'm sorry, it's too late. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel warned him and said, if you'll humble yourself and break off your sins by righteousness and show mercy to the poor, there can be a lengthening of your tranquility. One year later, he's walking through his temple, I mean, through his palace. Wow. Look at the magnificence of the kingdom I have built for myself. And the voice fell from heaven. It is spoken to you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, that the event is now going to happen. Sorry, it's too late to repent. You can repent in seven years. Political science. That's, that's the New Testament, brethren. Amen. You think it's all in the Old Testament? Go read Acts 12. Go read about Herod Antipas. Go read about him on Google. Go read about how he died. Rulers answer. God used Sennacherib to chase in Israel, but then he judged Sennacherib, as you read in Isaiah 37 and Isaiah 10. There is a king over all kings and a prince over all kings. Do you know them? God and his son, Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read a little bit about Abraham to remind us of another rule a political rule. Hebrews 11 and the 13th verse as we're reading about Abraham here. These all died in faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were sojourners, verse 9 tells us. He sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Dwelling in tabernacles, that means tents. He didn't stay in one place long enough to build himself a permanent house. They look for a city which hath foundations in verse 10, but we want verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. The promises that you and I know is the basis of the New Testament gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, His kingdom, and heaven above. They did not see them closely like we do. He believed them by faith, but we, we see so much more than Abraham did. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and we're persuaded of them. Are you persuaded today? And embrace them. You know, I use that word because we don't just want to believe the promises of God. We want to love the promises of God. We want to hug the promises of God. We want to keep them close to us so they can't get away from us and that they will keep us through the difficult, dark days of life and when death approaches. I love this this terminology. They saw them afar off. They were persuaded, embraced, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We've got to get up every day and confess we're strangers and pilgrims on the earth while we're embracing the promises of God that we have a kingdom that's going to take us into heaven and we're going to reign over the whole universe forever, as it was explained to us from Psalm 47 earlier today. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2 for the same point. 1 Peter chapter 2. Notice how it's worded here in the context. 1 Peter 2, 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. These were Christian Jews in Paul's territory across the Mediterranean Sea as I preached to you when we went through these two epistles expositorily. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation, that's your lifestyle, honest "...among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation." And notice what the first work is. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. How do you show that you're a real Christian? Well, when you're a Jew, a rebellious sort, in a foreign nation, under an occupying government of Rome, you submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. What does it mean for the Lord's sake? We do it because He told us to. It's not because we like them. It's not because we put their pictures in our home. It's because He told us to. Right. For the Lord's sake. He set them up. He, he creates de facto governments over nations. Right. Keep perspective, brethren. Our national situation, this is the next point. I just want to roll through some points and we're not going to get done. And that's okay. Let's just celebrate the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God today. And his Son Jesus Christ, he has not forsaken us. Right. He that is in the heavens regardeth, and he has sent watchers, and they have shamed and publicly humiliated our enemies. Those big mouths that for eight years have got away with so much junk against Bible Christianity and against civility and against nature. Amen. The angels have ordered a change. Amen. Keep perspective. Our national situation is still the best combination of blessings ever experienced, even if we would have had the other person as our president-elect. Current events are minor. Their legislation and pontification affects only them. Let them pass rules that they want to, if they want to practice the most perverse things known to man. They're not requiring it of us, and we're not going to do it. We're going to have opposite-sex marriages and happy ones at that, by the grace of God as I've taught you before, compare the history of Israel to keep perspective and what God did to Israel and what he's not done to America yet. The Roman wars, the Islam wars against Europe, the civil war in this country. Did you, I hope you look at the date sometimes and you sing some of the songs. Yep. We sang a song this morning that had two authors, first three verses, second two verses, 1842, 1870, think about the circumstances in our nation and why in verses 4 and 5 it was referred to as chastening upon America. Are we supposed to sing with the understanding or is that just your crazy pastor? Was that even in the Old Testament? That's a shocker, isn't it? Even the Old Testament they just weren't banging the 88 keys. They were supposed to be thinking. It's a stringed instrument, isn't it? They were supposed to be thinking with their understanding about what they were singing. Mm -hmm. We sang some good things this morning. We like to compare the present situation to the 60s in our country and what was going on then and how the Lord's delivered us from it. Keep perspective. You never know what's going to come out of what appears to be evil. King James I of England was the 6th of Scotland and he put Christians to death in England. He burned two Baptists. He put other Baptists in prison. You say, well, why do you like the King James Bible? For the four reasons that we can prove that it's God's word. We don't care what king authorized it. Just like God didn't care that it was Persian pagans that supplied the money for his temple in Jerusalem to be rebuilt by Zerubbabel. We just thank God that he's raised up nursing fathers and mothers from all kinds of quarters. Amen. King James hated Baptists, like all baby sprinklers do. Keep, let's keep a good perspective, an honest one, a, a, an objective one. The Internet creates fear. World events, unknown, you know, I've, told, I've taught you these things. I'm just reinforcing them. I want to remember this. We have too much thrown at us that no one else in the, world, in the history of the world has ever seen before. A farmer got up in the morning. He went out, and all he knew was that there's a bird on that tree. There's one chirping over here. My ox is in the barn. He's still there. He wasn't stolen overnight. I'm going to hitch him up, and I'm going to go out and plow. The earth looks nice. Thank you for the rain last night, Lord. I like those earthworms, your ventilation system down there in the soil. This is good. I feel the sweat. I feel the sun. This is wonderful. Thank you, wife, for a great breakfast. There was no internet. There was no radio. There was no rush. There was no bright Breitbart. There was nothing. There was no social media. You are not having all the world events flung in your face to get you worried. I hope that you'll remember this and keep that internet and keep the news down. World events unknown before are now diced, sliced, and spun to sell web advertising. Details and opinions of every Tom, Dick, and Harry are polished and published. Anyone can publish anything which is bad, for every man is a liar. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Social media allows lies and slanders that just recently were impossible to spread. There wasn't no Twitter. There wasn't any Twitter. Charlie, was there electricity when you were in high school? Barely. Barely. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. Remember that. So you're getting a whole bunch of stuff flung in your face that was never flung there before. It's a temptation of our generation. It's a very long document on our website written when we opened our website about the danger of the Internet and the information explosion. It's now 15 years old. You might want to find it and read it. It's the concerned, calculated, cautious approach that we took to the Internet 15 years ago. Carnal Christianity is the real danger, isn't it? When Paul spoke of perilous times, what did he speak of? Democrat Party in power, communists, socialism, AIDS, war, World War IV, space exploration, drones, robots, sex bots. What what was the perilous times to Paul? The compromise of Bible Christians to a fable following, ear itching, teacher piling, bunch of compromisers. I've taught you that before. When people write me, and they write me often, tell me about this, tell me about that. What do you think about this prophecy? Well, it doesn't really matter. Let's go with the prophecy that counts the most, and that is we live in the perilous times, the last days, and how are you going to counteract it in your heart, in your family, and in your church? Okay. The 19 traits of the perilous times that open up 2 Timothy chapter 3, they go on down to describe wicked teachers that are like the two magicians of Pharaoh that oppose Moses, it goes to the word of God being our solution. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and that's our salvation. To, Tim, to a charge to Timothy to preach the word because the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine and we're there. That, that is the best prophecy in the Bible for us right now. Right. And that's the greatest danger. The greatest danger is you, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, or your church being carnally minded. It's the greatest danger. Then the Lord will chasten us. Because we've been given so much more, we're going to be held responsible for more than the nation's going to be held responsible for. Right. Do you believe we have insider information? Amen. Have I said enough on that? Okay, then I'll just uh, pass right on over it. We know the most influential and persuasive power in kings and voters in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And it's the God of heaven. He manipulates them both. Amen. And that's enough for now. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and give us great peace great joy, great excitement about the future, knowing that the victory is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our brother and friend.